right. Good morning, Reach Church. So if kids want to head out to Reach Kids now, they can do that. Careful, Randall. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can sign the connection books. Uh, that'll be great. <laughs> All right, so uh, good morning. Um, so today we are looking uh, for the last time at the life of Peter. So we've been walking through um, what it looks like to follow Jesus by, by looking at someone who did follow Jesus, who walked with Jesus day in and day out, who stood before the, the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And I think uh, one of the themes we've seen is that Peter was committed to following Jesus, that he loved Jesus and he pursued Jesus, that we saw him jump out of the boat and swim to Jesus. We saw him walk on water to get to Jesus. We saw him so longing to, to follow Jesus and, and follow the pattern of Christ. All right, but this week, this week we're seeing what happens when Peter fails to follow Jesus. When instead of following Jesus, he instead gives in to his fear, he gives in to his doubts, he gives in to fear of man, and he abandons Jesus at his time of need. He abandons Jesus on the cross. Now we talk about this because the reality is that as we follow Jesus, at times we will stumble. We will fall. You will fall. You will fail to suffer with Christ. You will fail to follow him. And we need to know, how do we get back in fellowship with this Jesus? How do we connect with him again? How do we get restored back to where we were before? We need this. We need to know what it looks like. And so we're not just going to talk about Peter's fall, his denial of Jesus. We're also going to talk about the restoration that Jesus offers and how that restoration looks. What, what it, kind of the, the cost of it. And so we're going to talk about the, the grief that is required to be restored to Jesus. We're going to talk about the, the love that is required. And finally, we're going to talk about the obedience that's required. That requires all these things. It takes grief and a restoration of love and true obedience to be put back in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But the, the nice and amazing thing is that once we have been restored, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is nothing left to do. That we can once again follow Jesus as if it didn't happen and just move forward in freedom. So with that in mind, we're going to look today at John 21, verses 15 through 19. So John 21, go ahead and turn there. John 21, verses 15 through 19. John 21, 15 through 19. Now Jesus had just swam, or Peter just swam through the water. He just ate breakfast with Jesus, and this is, this is their conversation, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him, a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we fail to pursue you, you pursue us. That you move towards us and you, you show us uh, and, and develop in us a hatred for our sin and a love for you and, and call us to new obedience and to follow you afresh. And so, Father, I ask that this would, would not be a impersonal thing. This would not be a be left out in, in kind of this religious context, but Father, that we would have a deep and personal relationship with Jesus. That those who need to be restored would be restored. That we may enjoy and freedom and peace pursue you and walk with you and love you. Would you use your word to, to open our eyes and to renew our love for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Alright. So, uh, before we can really go any further, we need to talk about what Peter is actually being restored from. And we remember that Throughout Peter's life, he has been told by Jesus that there is this one pattern. To suffer, to die, and to resurrect. We talked about that all last week. And we saw Peter over and over again struggle with that pattern. And he's constantly reminded. He was rebuked for failing to, to follow that pattern. He was warned. He was warned that he would suffer and he would die. That... Jesus actually comes to Peter and tells him, I've been praying for you. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. We saw him with Jesus and, and Peter warns him, You're, you will deny me before the rooster crows. He's warned in, in the garden of Gethsemane to pray lest you fall into temptation. And over and over, what Peter says things like, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Though all others may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. That Peter is convinced that he will follow Jesus to the very end. And then we see in Luke 22, Luke 22, verse 54, Then they seized Jesus and led him away bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, You will deny me three times. 
And he went out and wept bitterly. Here's Peter after a lifetime of following Jesus, of being prepared for suffering and for death, standing before that same Jesus, face to face denying him. That all of this time spent with Jesus, it's not even like it happened. He's, he's denying every, every second of it. His full relationship with Jesus. And here at this moment, he's saying instead, no, no, I, I'm ruled by, by man. Man is my savior. They will keep me alive. I'm ruled by fear. I have no savior. I have no Lord in, in Jesus. I do not know the man. We wonder, okay, how, how, how could Peter have done this? He'd been waiting his whole life for this moment. He, he knew it was going to happen. How could he have done it? We saw two weeks ago, he was calling out that, that this was the Christ. This was the Son of God. And he was commended as the, the rock of the church. He was given the keys to the kingdom. He was called a, a priest in the kingdom of God. That he would loose and bind and, and allow people into heaven and close the doors. And, and here he is just denying that he even knows Jesus. All right. As much as we can be shocked with Peter... Those of you who have been walking with Jesus for a long time know that this is not shocking. That we have all done this. We've all done this. We've all been the place of denying Christ. That you've all been around non-believers or people that you fear and you've hidden the fact that you know Jesus. I've done that. You've done that. That you've had chances to talk about him and instead you were silent. You were given a chance to to say, yes, I'm with him, and you have, you've said that you are not. In your silence, at least, you have said it. All right, you've had chances where, where suffering comes. The suffering of Christ comes. And then the suffering is asking you, do you know Jesus? Are you his follower? And we would said, no. No, I don't know the man. No, I, I shouldn't have to suffer. I'm not suffering. We've been asked by sin and by temptation and we've been asked, okay, do you follow Jesus or, or will you follow me? And, and we have chosen sin. That in itself is a denial of Christ. We're unwilling to follow him, that he is not our true Lord. He is not our true Savior, that we'll find life somewhere else. We'll find life in death if we have to, but we will not follow him. All right. That's the reality. That's the reality of, of where Peter is at this point. And we need to know, okay, once we have done that and we have done it and we will do it and you will do it, how are we restored? How are we brought back to relationship? Now for Peter, it took some time. It took some time. that This was before the death of Jesus. Peter had to wait until the death of Jesus, his resurrection. He had to wait when the empty tomb he still hadn't been fully restored. The first time he sees the resurrected Jesus, he is not restored. When he's in the boat swimming to Jesus, he is not restored. But here, here at this moment, he is restored to Jesus. Okay, and this conversation, what is this conversation? What is this conversation? 
All right, it's not just this, uh, that his sins are going to be forgiven. No, that's a, that's a superficial, impersonal way of reading this. No, this is the, the reconciliation of two people who, who have had a broken relationship. All right, so if, if, if Casey and I, my, me and my wife, were at a party, and someone asked me, like, hey, hey, are you Casey's husband? And I said, no, I've never met her. Like, I don't know. All right. That would be a problem. All right. We would still, we would still be married. We would still be married, but, but it'd be on a thread, okay? <laughs> All right. And, and when you get in the car afterwards, there has to be a conversation. There has to be a conversation. You are not, you are not reconciled. You're not restored. That's the reality of what our sin does with, between us and Jesus. And we would deny him when we choose sin over him. When we choose not to suffer with him. It hurts our relationship. And we're actually in this loving relationship with Jesus. Alright, it's not just this mathematical like, oh, put some tallies on the sin counter and like, oh, I need to get rid of those. No, it's that you've chosen not to love the one who is, who is your beloved, who is your savior, who is your Lord, your God. And as long as there is not reconciliation, that relationship is strained, is, is broken. This conversation is restoring the relationship. So let's see what that, what that looks like. So the first step in restoring the relationship is grieving over your sin. Is grieving over your sin so that you might hate your sin and see it for exactly what it is. So Jesus actually, he sets Peter up so that he might grieve and grieve well. So first of all, the context here. The context here. So they... Peter deci or Jesus decides to wait until he and Peter are sitting around a bonfire. All right, why did he choose that context? Because when Peter denied him three times, he was sitting around a bonfire. All right, and he asked him three times so that he might be reminded that he denied him three times. All right, the first question, the first question is, it has kind of this, this kind of edge to it. It's a little brutal. Uh, do you love me more than these? Now, why does he ask that question at first? Right, I think this strikes at, at the, the pride and the superiority of Peter going into this. That, that no, if everyone else denies, I, I'll be faithful. I will be true. I'm the only one who, who really cares. And here's, here's Jesus asking, like, do you love me more than these? And thankfully, Peter sees it for what it is. He doesn't say that he loves more than. He just says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All right, so Jesus asked the second time, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And this third time, do you love me? And what does verse 17 say? It says, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Now, is this an accident? Did, did Jesus ask a, a clumsy question? No, he was, he was trying to give, bring Peter to grief, to grief over his sin so that he might see sin for what it is. And that's where, it's, it's not just that, it's not just that sin is bad, it's just sin is a, is a betrayal of love and it is hatred against God. It's a hatred of Jesus. 
And if we're actually going to be restored to relationship, we need to see our sin for what it is. We can't just say, Lord, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, when we still love our sin more than we love Jesus. When we still don't understand what our sin really is. All right, we need to see it. But we need to see it so that, so that we might be truly forgiven. All right, so uh, last time you were in a fight, okay, uh, have you ever had those, those apologies that are just really bad? All right, the person, he said, he said this thing like, like, you know what, I'm, yeah, I don't know we're fighting, like, I'm just really sorry that you had your feelings hurt. All right, well, do, uh, you don't like that. All right, if you say that to your wife, she probably didn't like that. Because uh, why? It's, it's not showing that you actually understand what you actually did. And then, and you're supposed to forgive, like, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sensitive. You know, like, I'm, I'm sorry that I inconvenienced you by getting upset. All right, it's not a real apology. And it doesn't get real forgiveness. All right, if we really want forgiveness from Jesus, he, he asks us to actually see what we're being forgiven for. He's not shaming us. He's just saying, like, this, this is what you're actually being forgiven. The whole weight of it. And he makes us see it so that so that when we, say, when we ask him for forgiveness, he can actually give it. That we're not asking for, for the tip of the iceberg. No, we're getting the whole thing. The whole thing is getting forgiven. And in the future, we don't have to feel any more shame or guilt or grief about it. All right, be grieved when you come to Jesus so that in the, in the future, you don't have to be grieved about it anymore. That you know, I brought the whole weight of sin to Jesus and he forgave the whole thing. That's how we get freedom. And the cross, the cross is, is big enough to take all of our sin. All right, we don't need to fake it. We don't need to do the like, oh yeah, sorry, sorry Jesus, and, and yeah, sorry, uh, we're good. No, it's, it, we can look at the whole, the whole sin and nail the whole ugliness to the cross and we can be fully forgiven. That's what Jesus is offering us. Now, what does it look like to, to fully grieve? Now, sometimes we're just given by the Spirit an ability to see our sin, and we naturally grieve over it. We hate it. We see it for what it is. All right, but that isn't always the case. And so sometimes we have, to, we have to call ourselves to grieve. I feel like oftentimes I grieve over suffering, but I don't grieve over sin as much. You know, I'm like, oh, like, this is so terrible. Uh, I'm grieved. But then I stand and it's like, oh, you know. All right. We need to, we need to change that and, and look at our hearts and say, okay, what did I really do here? Like, oh, I chose sin over Jesus. I chose my own comfort over Jesus. I made this idol and I started worshiping it and threw Jesus to the wayside. I acted like the work of Jesus didn't make any difference in my life. That I know that he is the Christ and he is Lord and instead I, I chose sin. I chose death rather than life. I was a complete and utter fool. And I was hating Jesus at that moment. All right, we need to talk to ourselves and, and, and show ourselves the reality of our sin and then give it to Jesus. Ask that he might take it, that his grace might cover it. We cannot pay it off any other way. But if Jesus dies for it on the cross... All right. Grieve your sin that you might be free from that grief and be joyfully forgiven. Amen? All right. Second thing. Restoration takes more than grief. It takes more than grief. 
It takes a reaffirmation of love for Jesus. A reaffirmation of love for Jesus. So uh, looking at these questions, all right, I, I was thinking like, okay, why, why this question? Do you love me? I would have expected Jesus to say like, do you feel bad? Do you feel bad? Do you feel bad? Or like, do you believe I died for it? Do you believe I died for it? Do you believe I died for it? But no, that's still treating sin like it's a, it's, a, it's a transactional thing. It's a mathematical formula. No, what does he really want to know? He wants to know, do you love me or not? Do you love me or do you love sin? Do you love me or do you, do you love yourself? Do you love me or do you love the other people around you that you're, you're afraid of? He wants our full affection. He wants our full heart. He wants all of us. And the reality is that that's the only way we're going to be free from sin is if we fall in love with Jesus more than we love our sin. If we hate our sin and love and love and love Jesus. And I think we naturally know that from when you, when you fought with someone, especially a spouse, like at the end of the fight, there should be an I love you. There should be an I love you at the end. Because your sin said, I hate you. And now you're saying like, you know what? That's not what I wanted to communicate. That's not what I wanted to show you. I wanted to show you my love. Here, I love you. Believe me, I love you. All right. Now, that, that brings up a hard question. In your heart of hearts, can you say that you really love Jesus? That you love Jesus? Because there's two options. That when you sin, it can either be that you're... you're you sinned and, and you betrayed your love for Jesus. You do love him, but at that moment you failed to love him. But it's not reflective of your heart. But there's, a, there's another reality. There's a reality that your sin can reflect the fact that you do not love Jesus. That you don't care about him. And the reality is, it, if that's the case, you can admit that. That Jesus can take that. All right, the cross can take that. You can admit that you don't love him. But you don't get to stay there. All right, what do you do if you feel like you don't love Jesus? All right, first, you're not going to love Jesus unless you know Jesus. And too often, I think, in the church, we, uh, I grew up like this. It was like, Jesus wasn't a real person. He was this fantasy. He was an amalgamation of like, all the happiest things that a person could embody. And if I thought of like the nicest person I could imagine who is like throwing out puppies and, and shooting out rainbows, like that's Jesus. And it's like he's just really, really nice and how could you not love Jesus? That kind of thing, all right? That's a fantasy. And if you feel like, oh, I just like don't really connect with this guy, it's because that's not real. You're connecting with a fantasy Jesus. All right, some of you have a fantasy Jesus. Others of you have just this mystery Jesus. Now, sometimes I'm, I'm forced to, to teach some of the kids at GCA. <laughs> this guy knows. He's <laughs> uh, at one of our schools. So, uh, and, and you have to ask them sometimes, like, okay, so what would Jesus do in this situation? What would he say? We need to have an answer to those kind of things. We need to know Jesus well enough, so we're like, oh, like, I could probably guess, like, he answered this way and this to this person, and this is kind of the character of Jesus. If you don't know that, then you, you don't know Jesus. 
And you can't love him well. Now what's the solution to that? Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Get to know Jesus. You might actually fall in love with him. My hope is that you do. That he's actually more complicated than we think. He's a real person. And he's compelling and he's kind of captivating. He's different than anyone else. Alright, but finally, finally, look at the cross. We're told that, that Jesus loved us first. That we love because he first loved us. That's where, like, look at the fact that he died for you. That he suffered for you. That he put you before himself. Fall in love with Jesus. Alright, then there's that second category. If you do, if you can confidently say from your heart, like, I, Jesus, I, I do love you. I do love you. Then say it. Remind yourself that you love him. Remind yourself why you love him. Why you fell in love with him in the first place. If you haven't talked to him for a long time, it's going to be hard to say that. But if you love him, reaffirm it. And be reminded that, that that's why you do what you do. That's why you hate sin. It's because you love, you love Jesus more. And Jesus, in response to that, what does he say? He says this thing. He says over and over, Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend the flock. That you can actually go out and practically love Jesus by loving the people that he loves. By caring for the people who need help. That that is an embodiment of your love for Jesus. All right. But last, last. The final step of restoration is that you might have renewed obedience. That you might be restored to, to following him and following him into suffering and death. You might be truly obedient. Now look what, look what Jesus says to, him, to Peter in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to him to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Alright, this whole, this whole problem started because Peter didn't want to suffer and die for Jesus. He didn't want to pick up his cross. And the first thing we need to realize is that when we've really been restored to Jesus, we don't get a get out of obedience free card. And we're not restored so that we might go down our own path and just continually repent and repent and repent and, and sin and sin and sin. No, it's that we might be restored to follow, to pick up our cross and follow him. And the beauty is that if we've gone through the first two steps, if we've reminded ourselves why we hate sin and love Jesus, we have now a totally different reason to go obey. That we now want to follow Jesus because we love him. Because we love him and we hate our sin and we love him more. And now we go follow, restored. Restored in our love. That we love what he has done for us and now we go do that for others in his name. I feel like there's a, so nothing but Jesus, it can, it can sometimes just sound like just grace, grace, grace. 
Grace, 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 grace. Just Jesus did everything. You don't need to do anything. No, nothing but Jesus says that nothing but Jesus saved you. And now give your life to nothing but Jesus. Make your life about nothing but Jesus. Devote your life to nothing but Jesus. How can you do that? What is that going to look like? What are you called to actually do? How are you called to love him practically? Give yourself to nothing but Jesus. All right. But there's a second thing. Second thing that he does. We're restored to following Jesus. But we need to be reminded of the, the beauty of that calling. So Peter fell. Peter fell. And that what should have happened, Matthew, Matthew 10.32, what should have happened when he fell? We see this in Matthew 10.32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Alright, the reality is that at this point, Peter has denied Jesus before men. Peter should be totally cut off. That should have been it for Peter. But instead, instead Jesus says once again, follow me. Follow me. I'm not cutting you off. You haven't fallen from grace. No, he says, follow me. And what does Peter, Peter still becomes the rock. He is still the rock. He is still the priest. He still gets the keys to the kingdom. He still binds and he looses in heaven. He's restored to exactly where he was before. And that's where some of you have fallen. You've committed sins and you feel this shame and this guilt and like you're a second, second rate Christian. No. That when Jesus restores, he restores you to, to perfection. To exactly where you were in all of your glory. Back to your, your true identity in him. Alright, you don't need to cower before him. You don't need to cower before people in the church that you're not good enough. No. You have been restored. Now follow. And the beauty of Peter's life is Peter was a, a mess. He was a mess. But in the end, he did follow. He tended the sheep. He, he fed the flock. That he went out and he became the first to preach about Jesus. And he, he distributed the Holy Spirit to God's people. That he became one of the pillars of the church. And he, will, he willfully, he suffered for Jesus. That before these exact same people that he cowered for before, he stood up and he went to prison and he sang his way into prison and out of it. And finally, Peter did die. His hands were stretched apart. He was taken where he didn't want to go. He was taken to the cross. But in his death, he glorified Jesus. And when he was risen from the dead, when he's now standing in before Jesus, face to face with Jesus, he no longer feels the shame, the shame and the guilt that he felt before. That when Jesus looks upon him now, he can stand before him and hear from Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant. That yes, you fell, but, but you obeyed, you glorified my name. I acknowledge you before my Father. I acknowledge you before the hosts of heaven. You are my son. And my hope would be that that, that is what motivates us. 
Not that we're working ourselves to heaven. The salvation is given to us in Jesus, but that we just want to please him and we want to love him. And we're going to get to that point where we can stand before Jesus and, and joyfully stand before him without shame or guilt because we know we've been washed clean and we know that we have loved him well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you know that we will fall. That you've seen it already and Father, that you have given us a way through. That you restore us. You heal us. You forgive us. You let us grieve over our sin that we might be, be healed of it and know that we have full forgiveness. You remind us of why we should love you and you you put that love in our hearts. And Father, you call us to new obedience so we might have actual freedom from sin. Father, we ask that in all this, we would do so for love of Jesus. We love you. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for, for picking us up out of our failure, for dying for us so we might really give our sin to you. Would you give us true freedom and give us true love for Jesus? Father, would you give us faithfulness that we might hear what we might do?